You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Smashed from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I am Aaron Albano. And I'm Mo Brady. Kids know they're not getting out. You live in the loop of smokes on the stoop, counting the corners. Welcome back, listeners, to our tongue-in-cheek recap of what is television's most detailed depiction of the theater industry. And yes, at the home stretch, we're still talking about Smash, the NBC series that chronicled the creation of not one, but two Broadway musicals, and all of the drama that ensued along the way. We've been going back episode by episode to see how this supposed love letter to Broadway has held up over the past decade. In each podcast episode, we're looking to find the answers to these three questions. Did it represent Broadway then? Does it represent Broadway now? And is it any good? So let's dive in and talk about episode 16 of season two, the nominations. Aaron, (laughs) give us the stats. Happy to, Mo. The penultimate episode of season two, the nominations, premiered on May 26th, 2013. It was written by Brian Goluboff, who last penned the dramaturg earlier this season, and was directed by Michael Morris, who has written a number of season two episodes. The viewership jumped up by 0.43 million viewers from the last episode, bringing the total viewership to 2.44 million. We had three featured songs this week, with our only original song being an excerpt from Hit List's Rewrite This Story, written by Pasek and Paul. Our two others included a cover of Traffic's Feelin' Alright, sung by Megan Hilty, and If You Want Me, from Once, performed by Krista Rodriguez. And how'd our penultimate episode of the series end up, Mo? It's just days until Tony Award nominations come out and nobody's feeling all right. Eileen wants more nominations than Hit List. Tom wants a win to cement his future as a director. Oh, and Ivy is puking in the bathroom between scenes because she's pregnant. She's pregnant? (laughs) Jimmy is worried that Kyle won't be recognized with a Tony nomination for Best Book. But Hit List's producer Jerry says he's worried about the wrong thing because Anna is filing a wrongful termination suit against Derek. The Outer Critics Circle deems Best Director a tie between Derek and Tom, and Julia wins Best Book for Bombshell, but Hitlist walks away with the rest, including acting awards for Karen, Sam, and Daisy. The win for Daisy lights a fire under Karen's ass to protect her roommate, igniting her to storm into Daisy's dressing room demanding she quit Hitlist. But Daisy's been working too hard for 10 years to give up this opportunity. At the Outer Critics Circle luncheon, Julia gives a touching tribute to Kyle, and Tom dedicates his joint win to Derek. But afterwards, tensions flare as Jimmy interrupts the proceedings to give Julia a lecture on theatrical ethics. Burning the candle at both ends, and with his voice failing, Jimmy is encouraged by Karen to call out of that night's show and watch the fruits of Kyle's labor from the audience. Teary-eyed after sitting in the Barrymore, Jimmy realizes that theater lovers will remember Kyle for his work on stage, not because he did or didn't win a Tony. The morning that those Tony nominations are announced, everyone from the bombshell and hit list camps are crowded around their screens to watch them live. Bombshell gets 12 nominations, including those for Ivy, Lee, Derek, Julia, and Tom, but Hitlist gets 13, with nods for Karen, Daisy, Derek, Jimmy, and Kyle. 
but all is not peachy, as Julia is being dragged to court by her soon-to-be ex-husband, and Derek publicly acknowledges that he wrongfully terminated Anna and gave the part to Daisy after sleeping with her. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So before we start anything, we have to talk about Oliver. I am right. I just want to For those of you who it, listened just... to our episode two weeks ago. Let's roll tape, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so back in episode 14, Mo was saying how he had this theory that Laura Osnes was playing Oliver in this deconstructed production of Oliver. And because of the forthcoming revival of 1776, I jokingly stated that Diane Paulus's Oliver would be the sight to see for the season. Fast forward two episodes and we are here with Diane mm-hmm. Paulus's Oliver being nominated for Tony. And yet... Laura Osnes is not the one who's nominated for a Tony. It is Sutton Foster. Sutton Foster! Which I'm like, A, how is Sutton Foster and Laura Osnes in this production of Oliver? B, who is Sutton Foster playing? C, damn it, Mo was right about all of it. I feel great. I just want to point out, I feel great. I was so mad. But yeah, so who is Sutton Foster playing? Who do we think Sutton Foster is playing in this I mean, deconstructed all-female production of Oliver? There are only two leading roles in Oliver. It is Fagin and Oliver. So, so she has one to be is Fagin. playing Yeah, one is playing one and one is playing the other. 
this is the only this is the only explanation. I'm mad. I'm mad. Why are you a prophet? I just know this industry. All right, let's talk about award season. This is where the drama is. We love award season. We could get into every single one of these awards just so deliciously. Why does Smash condense the most exciting month of the theater season into half an episode? Is it even half the episode? It's less. We've All we've done is like fill it with all this other stuff. When the most exciting part of the episode is all of this. For your target audience, it's all of this. Yes. That Ivy stage door gaff that gets recorded, the Karen mm. Jimmy interview gaff, these press threats. It's just like... I'm like, where's the press training? Yeah, it doesn't feel like... Jim. Jim, maybe Jimmy was supposed to be at press training and he showed up late. <laughs> but Ivy, Ivy should know better. She should know better. Her. She's been around stage yeah. door. This is before stage dooring became a full time job, too. Right? This is pre- yeah. That's how Broadway's changed between 2013 and now. This <laughs> back when leading actors weren't expected to spend 45 minutes at the stage door. I guess that's real. That's true. I mean, I guess here's. I mean, we weren't all in newsies, so we didn't all get bombarded when we left the theater. Aaron. <laughs> How dare you? I guess here's the question your though. Your Twitter followers and your cookie cakes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, deep cut. <laughs> but here's I guess here's a question. Like, cause whether we like it or not, Smash filled half the episode with this like petty rivalry. Is there some truth in this sort of rivalry when there are two big shows in a season? We've referenced this before, like like the first rivalry might be too strong, but that sort of when Wicked was up against Avenue Q, it was this big show versus this small show. And it was definitely like those were the two shows of the season. And while everybody in the world was like, oh, who's going to win? Did that exist sort of in them too? I don't feel my like... Only other, my only other reference is Newsies versus Once, and I was very personally tied to that but i don't remember like aside from us thinking like "Ooh, have you seen once is once really good are they gonna beat us like that's all we sort of did but 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 eileen is not a corporation like yeah newsies is produced by disney yeah Wicked was produced by Universal. I can see that David and Goliath story of like, there's movie money behind this thing and it may not be um, like artistic, but it's just like business theater, right? Yeah. Versus like, we did our off-Broadway. We came up from New York Theater Workshop and we are just like so theatrical, right? That's the Wicked versus Avenue Q story. Oh, interesting. Eileen is not Disney. Yeah. Eileen is not Universal. Eileen, we're supposed to be rooting for her. Yeah, if, if, if anything, in this world, Jerry Rand is the big, like, head honcho of the Smash Broadway world, so. Right. So, it doesn't, to me, I've also not really gotten the sense that, like, Bombshell's a big musical. I mean, it's, it's at the the Lyceum slash Lily Hayes. Like, it's yeah. not at a big Broadway house. I don't think of it as a big Broadway show. I think of it as sort of like a, a prestige Broadway show. Like a classic Broadway show rather than a huge Broadway show. Yes. Fair. Okay. 
Interesting. And, and Eileen is sort of one of these producers of another era when there would be one producer above the title, right? She's not as villainous as David Merrick, but she's that sort of one producer style, right? Versus yeah. now you have a movie studio and 4,000 producers above the title, right? Fair, yeah, <laughs> right? that's true. The, maybe So maybe the rivalry is not necessarily big versus small, but it's sort of classic versus edgy. Award season. I will say the one thing that in some way this show gets right is that award season makes people nuts. I've deemed it Tony fever, like from May to June and up until award season, New York is feeling Tony fever very, 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 very much. Do you have a specific example? The two the two that, that st- stick out to me were, I mean, because I was there for Tony season for Newsies. I was there for Tony season for King and I. Newsies wasn't too bad because the only fever that I felt was like us wondering if Once was really as good as everybody says it was. Hot take, it kind of was. But King and I was an interesting animal because up at Lincoln Center, I thought that we were sort of aloof to all normal Broadway 20 blocks down. But Mm -hmm. Tony season hit that building hard. I thought up at Lincoln Center, you guys just cared about the art and the That's what I thought too, apparently not. (laughs) Sorry, Lincoln Center. Like, I was just like, oh, wow. We really live for this award season. I wonder if this is normal (laughs) to every award season. (laughs) Um, So yeah, all that to say is nobody's immune from Tony Fever. Not even Tom Levitt. Not even Tom Levitt. He's so thirsty. He... What did you think of Tom's storyline in this? Well, it sort of relates to his storyline in the last episode, which we didn't get to talk about in the podcast, which Mm -hmm. was let's create an entirely staged Oak Room concert as a ploy for to get me a nomination. Yes. Like it just, it just feels like his energies may be in the wrong place. I mean, completely. Here's a question because I've never been in a new Broadway show. What does the director do between opening a spring musical and Tony Awards. Are they around a lot? What are they sort of like, what is the job of that person once the show is quote unquote frozen, but still being kind of its fate is being decided? I mean, I feel like they're definitely around. They're sort of doing the job that frankly the associate does after the season's done and they leave. They're there taking notes, keeping the show up, but they're directing the show. (laughs) They're not just like left the show high and dry and then just hoping for the best, which is what Tom is apparently doing and just like trying to use his back channels to (laughs) make sure he gets a Tony nomination. Yeah, he's also, uh, I'm like, what else has has Tom been worried about lately? Uh, Ivy's birthday party, uh, not Kyle dying, and getting a Tony award. Oh, the City of Angels revival. Great. But it's all, yeah, all self-focused. But, you know. We're done. Theater, We're people done are, theater people are trash. <laughs> yes, we are, apparently. Great. What do you think about this theory posed by Patrick Dillon, Tony nominator, oh. who says to Tom, after seeing Bombshell, you know what they say about Tony voting. First you vote for yourself, then you vote against your enemies, but then you vote with your heart. I mean, theory aside... Who's they that are saying this about Tony voting? I have never heard. Right? I've never heard this. Who is this they? It must be at like the roadshow conference when all the Tony voters who are like 
manage regional theaters or like at the Mary Marquis getting drunk together. They're like, well, you know what we say. <laughs> it's actually like Tony nominator orientation, where if you're a new Tony nominator, they're like, just so you know, first you vote for yourself. <laughs> they just show this video from Smash. <laughs> I mean, so that said, I mean, I think it's not wrong. I think it's actually pretty true because it's not like there's a, you're allowed to vote for yourself and everybody who's going to vote for, like anybody who is involved in a show or producing a show or in the show that are also nominators are absolutely going to vote for themselves. I'm trying to imagine any world in which a person in a show would not vote for their show in every category. I mean, it would be a nice, like, adjustment to to the nominating process because that would be appropriate yeah it feels kind of icky doesn't it uh-huh but i mean but this is the system we got <laughs> <laughs> and so would it be nice to like reverse the statement sure but <laughs> not in the current system so i no, think it's right the current system. well don't worry because we don't have tony awards in the current system so it's fine <laughs> that's there it is that's the one <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh And then, speaking of themes from season one, finding their way back into the end of season two, we've got a good chorus shaming in this episode where Daisy says, I've been trying to get here for 10 years of lost roles, endless showcases, and teaching Pilates. After two years of that, let alone 10, you stop caring about being a good person. You do what it takes. I hate this so much. I hate this so much. Everything oh, about really? this, everything about this speech, I hate so much. And I'm just, and putting it into such a beautiful person's mouth, like the fact that Mara Davi, our Maggie, the Maggie of this generation's mouth to say in this episode, just like stabbed me in the heart. Does anybody think? like that like does any does anyone get into the theater business because they're like i'm gonna give this two good years and then i'm gonna become bitter as fuck i mean (laughs) what's sad is i think they do and that's what sucks about it because and maybe this is what smash is sort of doing where like it's presenting this garbage perspective on the business and then and we'll proceed to stomp it out of the ground but just the fact that it's been highlighted it's a horrible perspective to lift up in art anyway. Well, it's everything that the ensemblist stands for, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like the fact that there isn't a clearly defined ladder, the fact that you sort of decide what is success, and there are multiple lo- ways to be successful yeah. in this business. It's this type of artist that is not here for the art. They are calling themselves an artist because that's what we call themselves. But in fact, they're just like here for the fame. They're here for the fame. They're here for the money. And maybe this is the trajectory of someone who's lost their passion. And that's not something to like, I don't know. That's someone who has not cultivated their joy in this business (laughs) at all. Like she expected to be somewhere. She's not. And now she's given up all of her values to achieve that. And it's gross. And I think what makes it icky TV for me is... The fact that Daisy is the villain. 
Like, it's very clear that we are not supposed to care about Daisy, mm-hmm. and we aren't supposed to like Daisy, right? Yeah. If those words came out of the mouth of someone who we had empathy for, then you'd be like, oh, gosh, man, you're saying some really disheartening things, but I empathize with you because I know who you are as a character. It's the difference between seeing Ivy at the beginning of the episode sort of flub when she's talking to Sam, when she's just in high stress and she puts down Sam's award win because he's less than. And the minute it comes out of her mouth, she's like, that was awful. I apologize. And because we've been on the road with her, we know that was an honest mistake, but indicative of a value system she had before. Mm -hmm. Daisy, in what we've seen of her now, this is an ethos that she lives under. Or we can only Uh, assume that it's an ethos she lives under because we don't know anything else about her. Yeah, but I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I hated every second of it. It was definitely a a tactic being applied for me to not like her, and it worked. Congratulations, Smash Writers. Mm -hmm. On the opposite side of artists being trash, Julia poses this idea near the end of the episode. Mm. She says, artists shouldn't feel ashamed about helping each other. It shouldn't always be a competition. Yeah. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't it? I loved that. I loved it so much. Like, yeah, like in opposite, in in direct opposition to Daisy's speech. When that happened, I was like, oh, there you are, Peter. But there's, that's like not smash. That is anti-smash. That's what's, that's what's hard about that statement. Because as I was watching the episode, I was, I saw it and I was like, wait, is this the thesis of the episode? Because... We've spent the entire episode watching all of this competition and feeling gross about it. Jimmy versus Julia and Tom versus Derek and Hitler and Jerry versus Eileen and Ivy versus Karen and Karen versus Daisy and Daisy versus Anna. And it was just like, ew, that when Julia walked up to Jimmy and said this about Kyle's work, it was such a breath of fresh air. That I was like, is this what the episode's about? Wait, is this what the series is about? Would I have loved it to have been? Yes. Is it? No. I don't, I think it it revels too much in the competition for it to believably cling to that theme as its overall thesis of the show, which is too bad. Not at all. I wish it did. That statement that Julia says reminds me of Glee, not Smash. Interesting. Glee was a story about us versus them. Yes. Right? The enemy was always, there was bickering and infighting, but ultimately the enemy was always outside. And in Smash, the enemy has always been inside. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that's why it just like, I mean, you can say that that's like drama, like there's inherently more drama about the infighting than having an external enemy. But I wonder if that's part of the reason why the show just like ultimately didn't land is because people were like, "Ugh, I don't really want to watch people fight. Well, I think because... I'm wrong because Real Housewives is the thing, but... <laughs> well, no, but no one associates themselves. And no, anyone who associates themselves as a housewife, honestly, I don't think would watch that show. This is me speaking as not a housewife, so I have no idea for real. But speaking as you and I, 
people in this business and have been in this industry for many, many years, you and I know that this is an industry that has its stuff, but at the end of the day, it is a family, it is a community, and that is what we cling to about this world of Broadway. And for a show that values the competition over that family, I think that's how ultimately it doesn't feel true because we're like, no, that's not what our industry is about. Our industry comes together when all is said and done. It does not tear each other up. Despite being up against each other, we lift each other up. And that is what Broadway is. To keep up to date with next week's recap, be sure to watch season two, episode 17 of Smash, also known as the Smash series finale, The Tonys. <laughs> you can find Smash episodes on either the NBC app or at NBC.com. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. And by me, Aaron Albano. There are two great ways you can be helping The Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and the second is by becoming a Patreon member at Patreon.com. Slash the Ensemblist. Please follow The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. You can also follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.